Where were you on the day that America lost its innocence? Today marks yet another anniversary of the September 11th attacks on America. Many of us lost friends, colleagues, and loved ones that day. And still, others suffer enduring scars, both physical and mental, which are constant reminders of the act of cowardice that altered our nation's fiber, stripped us of so many of our freedoms, and forever changed our American way of life. Many of you listening were too young to remember what happened that day, and far too many who vowed they would never forget have done just that. Aside from those of us who lived through it, and the families who lost loved ones that day, it seems as if our collective memories, like bumper-sticker platitudes, have all but faded away. My production team and I have been digging through what's left of the archives of that day to bring you a, well, let's just say, not-so-subtle reminder. It's a short audio documentary we're calling Innocence Lost. I encourage you to share it with your friends and with your children and grandchildren in the years to come. Let it serve as a record of truth, which has all been eroded in our current era of censorship and political correctness. But I warn you, this piece is raw, real, filled with emotion, and completely uncensored. So, listener discretion is advised. And now... Alexander Berardi Productions and Counterthink Media present Innocence Lost. Miles and miles of sunshine today, nice as it can be across the Northeast. Uh, rough seas still uh, from, uh, uh, from the chop from that hurricane, but other than that, it's kind of quiet around the country. We like quiet. It's quiet. It's too quiet. Around 8.45 a.m., the people along the west side of Manhattan heard a piercing whine of a jumbo jet making its way down the Hudson River. Those who witnessed the scene instinctively realized everything about it was wrong. Heading down an airway normally reserved for northbound VFR traffic, it was much too big, traveling much too fast, and much too low. Nearly 500 miles per hour, at an altitude of just 900 feet, more than twice the speed permitted for an aircraft flying that low. It took less than 90 seconds for American Flight 11 to travel the entire length of the island of Manhattan. A little after 8.46 a.m., the huge aircraft weighing 283,600 pounds, traveling at 465 miles per hour, carrying approximately 10,000 gallons of fuel, flashed across the remaining 20 blocks from Canal Street to the World Trade Center. And tore through the massive North Tower between the 93rd and 99th floors, killing all on board and wreaking incomprehensible carnage across the six full floors of the building. I heard the bang. I thought it was thunder or something. He goes, look outside. I looked outside. I said, holy, it looks like a plane hit it or something. Battalion Chief Pfeiffer made the first official report. We have a number of floors on fire. It looked like the plane was 
aiming towards the building. Transmit a third alarm. We'll have the staging area at Bessie and West Street. As we swung around in front of World Trade, my mind tells me, wow, this is, this is bad. The impact severs 47 of the building's critical perimeter support columns and damages another two. Rivers of burning jet fuel pour out of the severed wings down the elevator shafts to the floor below, incinerating anything and anyone caught in its path. Smoke, fire, and wreckage cutting off all escape routes for those in or above the impact zone. Although all the levels were designed to be smoke and fire resistant, blindingly thick plumes of acrid smoke ripped their way through the remaining upper floors in minutes, making it almost impossible for those trapped inside to see or breathe. Witnesses on the upper floor of the South Tower we're stunned to see a wall of flames burst through the windows of the North Tower, less than 130 feet away, followed by a shower of disintegrating desks, files, computers, airplane parts, and burning bodies. If you were in the floors below, you saw the ceilings cave in. You saw the glint of the airplane as it impacted the building and you felt the shockwaves ripple through the building as it physically moved off axis, swaying over 20 feet in each direction. Close to the impact zone, there were people who lived for long, horrific minutes as they sought refuge from the smoke and flames and scorching heat. Many, in the last few moments of their lives, had the presence of mind to phone their loved ones or made desperate calls for help that would never come. Good morning, dear Mother's God. Thank you, Good morning, have a good day. Hi, what's your name again, please? Hey, I'm, God. I'm on the 83rd floor. Hey, six, what? I'm on the 83rd floor. Now, I'm on the 86th, what? 8695. 8695. She had the watch face there, so someone having difficulty breathing on the 83rd floor. Okay, ma'am, how you doing? Is it, is it, is it, are they going to be able to get somebody up here? Well, of course, ma'am. We're coming up to you. Well, there's no one here yet, and the floor is completely engulfed. We're on the floor, and we can't breathe. Okay. And it's very, very, very hot. It's very, is it, are the lights still on? The lights are on, but it's very hot. Ma'am, ma'am. Very you. hot. We're all the way on the other side of Liberty, and it's very, very hot. Any lights? You can turn the lights off? No! No, the lights are off! Okay, good. It's how many people where you're at right now? There's like five people here with me. All up from the 83rd floor. 83rd floor. Everybody's having trouble breathing? Everybody's having trouble breathing. Some people are worse. No, some people are unconscious. Everybody's awake. No fire for now and no smoke, right? No smoke, right? Of course there's smoke! Ma'am, ma'am, you have to stay calm. There is smoke! I okay. can't breathe! Okay, you stay calm with me, okay? I understand. I think there is fire because it's very hot. Okay. It, it's very hot everywhere on the floor. Okay. I know you don't see it, and I know, but we, I'm going to document. I'm documenting what you say. Okay. And it's very hot. I will see no fire, but you see smoke, right? It's very hot. I see. I don't. Okay. see any air anymore. Okay. All I see is smoke. Okay, dear. I'm so sorry. Hold on one. Stay calm with me. Stay calm. Now, Please. Just, uh, listen, listen. The call is in. I'm documented. I'm going to let this... 
Hold on one second, please. I'm going to die, aren't I? No, 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 no. Say I'm going to die. Ma'am, ma'am, say your prayers. And we're not going to die. We're going to think positive because you got to help each other get off the floor. I'm now, going to die. Stay calm, stay calm, stay calm, stay calm. Oh, You're doing a good job, ma'am. You're doing no, a good job. You're it's so job. hot. I'm burning up. Oh, my God. I just wanted to let you know I love you, and I'm stuck in this building in New York. There's lots of smoke, and we just wanted you to know that I love you always. There's a little bit of fire. I love you, too. I love you. I don't know if I'm going to be okay, but I love you so much. By 8.55, an army of firemen, police, emergency service personnel, and government officials, including the mayor himself, were rushing to the scene in Lower Manhattan. They were followed by another army of almost equal size of television news crews, cameramen, photographers, and reporters as the apparatus of the largest media operation in the world focused their attention on the events unfolding in a small 16-acre plot of ground in the largest city in America. At 9.02 a.m., little more than 15 minutes after the initial attack, while millions of people in the New York metropolitan region and tens of millions of television viewers across the world were staring intently at the smoldering icon of the New York skyline, a dark shape appeared over the skyline of New Jersey and came hurtling across the Statue of Liberty in the Upper Bay. Freelance cameraman Steve Vigilante captured those astounding next few moments on tape. Holy shit, Martin. That's the other building. That's terrorists. Other building? That's terrorists, bro. That's fucking terrorists. Holy that's terrible. According to seismic records, at precisely 9.02.54, as millions watched, United 175 slammed into the South Tower, cutting a swath through floors 77 to 85 of the 110-story building, instantly killing all on board, and over a hundred more inside as it tore its way through. By then, the first teams of firefighters and emergency workers had already arrived at the base of the North Tower, where they were greeted by a scene of horror and devastation that defied the imagination. On the Austin Tobin Plaza, there were burning corpses everywhere. The mangled bodies of men and women that had already fallen or jumped from the upper floors of the building, and the charred remains of the passengers of Flight 11, some still belted in their seats. 1,000 feet above, in the upper reaches of the towers themselves, there was a clearly marked delineation between life and death. In the North Tower, the plane struck in the center, and because the burning jet fuel went immediately down the shafts, it created a more intense and fiercely smoky fire. Those trapped on the floors above were cut off from any hope of escape. And because they had nowhere to go, People broke out windows, desperate to get air. People were stacked four and five high, hanging out of the windows, just trying to breathe. 
others, having already climbed out of the windows, clung to each other and to the metal on the outside of the building. And then, one by one, to the absolute horror of those looking on, they began to fall and jump to their deaths. About 15 minutes ago, bodies started dropping from the top floors of the uh, tower closest to the highway. And uh, it, was, it was absolutely terrible. Obviously, they had two choices, to be burned into, in flames or to uh, leap and end it all. By 9.30 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, ordinary life in New York City had all but ceased as millions of New Yorkers and millions more around the world looked on in shock and disbelief. But the horrors of that day were nowhere close to being over. The World Trade Center, tower number one, is on fire. The whole outside of the building was just in every available ambulance to World Trade Center now. And a person comes running into the office I say an explosion, explosion, explosion. His skin was pulled all from his armpits all the way to the top of the fingertips and pieces missing off his face. He says he's at the 105th floor at One World Trade Center. I am on the 100th floor of the World Trade Center with 30 people, northeast corner. Okay, you're, let me get you at 101st, 100th floor? 100th floor, northeast, 30 people in the corner. The smoke is very bad. Message number 51 concludes 0800, 56 minutes and 12 seconds. American 11, climb maintain level 350. American 11, Boston. Earth 7, Mike Lima, how do you hear? Mike Lima, how do you like clear? American 11, Boston. Okay, my name is Betty Ong. I'm number three on flight 11. Okay. Um, the cockpit's not answering. Somebody's stabbed in business class. And um, I think there's mates that we can't breathe. I, I don't know. I think we're getting hijacked. American 11, if you hear Boston Center, I den, please, or acknowledge. American 11, Boston. American 11, if you hear Boston Center, I den. Roger's weapon, Sergeant Powell. All right, Boston Center, Team U, we have a, a problem here. We have a hijacked aircraft headed towards New York, and we need you guys to, we need someone to scramble some F-16s or something up there to help us out. Is this, is this real world or exercise? No, this is not an exercise manifest. Okay, I think we need to scramble Langley right now, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the fighters from Otis and try to chase this guy down if I can find him. Foxy, scramble Langley, head towards the Washington area. Hey, this is Dulles Approach Control. We're tracking a fast-moving primary heading towards the White House. The White House has been advised. All right, I'll tell them. Okay, I'll keep you advised. Thank you very much. 213400, Graham. Hey, Tower. Did you see that? Hello? Crystal City, just north of Crystal City. Uh, just to the north of your tower. Just please. Give that. Yeah, stop all departures. Do you hear me? Yeah, stop all departures. Yeah, went in the Pentagon. Looks like it went in the Pentagon.
All right, the report we have is of a fire and smoke at the Pentagon. we have in. Uh, this is from Somerset County, Pennsylvania. This is where the United Airlines Flight 93, this was a Boeing 757 bound from Newark, New Jersey to San Francisco. It crashed in Somerset County, Pennsylvania near the town of Shanksville, south of Pittsburgh. We are told about 80 miles outside of Pittsburgh. Noise coming from it, but the engines were running. Um, I then saw the plane coming down at almost a 90 degree angle, maybe an 80 degree angle, and the next thing I saw was a big fireball and smoke. 
When it come down over top of me, I seen it go head nose dive straight into the ground down here. We heard this noise in the sky. My friend and I looked up and uh, said, what's that? And uh, just going over, basically over our uh, horizon of the hill was this plane. It was completely upside down is what it was. Uh, the tail fin was down and it was going in at a sharp ascent, probably more than a 45 degree angle, closer to a 90 degree angle. Next thing was over the horizon, there was a big, huge fireball. But it was, I'd say at least four or 500 feet in the air, fireball. The debris here is spread over a three to four mile radius, which has now been completely sealed off and is being treated, according to the FBI, as a crime scene. This is one of those cases where the pictures really do tell the story that sort of the most horrifying aspect of this particular crash scene is how little debris is visible. There is a large crater in the ground. That's really all you see is a large crater in the ground and, and just tiny, tiny bits of debris. There has been at least one report that the uh, investigators out there, and there are hundreds of them, as I said tonight, um, have found nothing larger than a phone book. When I took the call over, there was a soft-spoken, calm gentleman on the other end. He told me that there's three people that have taken over the flight. At that point, I asked him his name. He told me, Todd Beamer. He was from Cranberry, New Jersey. I wanted him to think that he still had a chance. I didn't want him to feel like it was just totally hopeless and he definitely didn't have a choice and he knew he was going to die. I didn't want him to have that feeling. I felt that he knew at that time because he had said, oh, Jesus, help us. And then he said, Lisa, would you recite the Lord's Prayer with me? And I knew that he knew at that time that it wasn't much left for him to do. They're all heroes in my eyes. They really are. They all pitched together and they did what they thought was the best thing to do at that time. And um, I feel that Todd played a great role in that because when he told the guys, are you ready? I assumed that they were waiting on his cue then they responded to him and he said, okay, let's roll. <laughs>